Lord Jesus, again, we want to thank you for this time we have together. Again, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be here to speak to us. We cannot understand truth or scripture or spiritual things without the Holy Spirit teaching us. So we ask for the divine teacher to come and, and be a part of our meeting. Lord, change us. Some here have struggles that we're dealing with. All of us deal with sin on a regular basis. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to free us from that. So we ask all of this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Just uh, by way of review last, first session we talked about what it means to be pure. And we, we are basing our biblical definition on purity of purity on 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, when Jesus comes again in the near future, you and I will be exemplifying purity in our lives. That doesn't just include sexual purity. It includes things like purity from all things that defile and contaminate. In general, from sin. That's what we said. Okay? And then we turned over to Psalm chapter 24. And David asked the same question, who's going to be able to stand before, before God? And he says that it is those who have, in verse 3, verse 4, who, who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him that seek your face. So the first element to those who have the purity in their lives, who are going to see Jesus when he comes, are those who have clean hands. What does it mean to have clean hands? For those of you who were here at the last session. Clean hands, what does it mean? Okay, it means the things that you do are right with God. You said actions. Our actions are good. What did you say, Chris? You've washed yourselves. You've washed yourselves of the world. And what does that mean? What are, uh, well, you, you gave the uh, analogy of uh, um, Pilate washing his hands of Jesus' blood just because of crucifixion, saying that he had nothing to do with whatever happened to Jesus. To wash yourself in the world would be to have nothing to do with things of the world. Okay, so just like Pilate figuratively washed his hands to be free from the consequences of putting Jesus to death, we wash our, our hands, have our clean hands in our actions, in our life. The things that we do are in harmony with the Bible. Um, and then the second element to standing before Jesus comes is having... A pure heart. 
Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and who has a pure heart. So this session, this seminar is focused on what does it mean to have a pure heart, a pure mind. All right. I have a, a friend who, uh, who I, I met when I was 15. We became really good friends. And, uh, and he and I, like, we would do everything together. We'd go biking. We'd go swimming. Um, he was pretty handy, you know, with building things. And, and I, I do a little bit myself. So, like, we started working together. We just pretty much, like, all the time that we had, um, you know, we were doing stuff. We were pretty active outside. And, uh, and after I, you know, finished school, I went to, um, to, I moved to Michigan. And we kind of lost you know, touch, not completely, but we um, just, you know, start, you don't call as much. I'm not very good at keeping in touch with people. It's uh, something I have to work on. So he, uh, anyway, he started, um, started to slip away, started to have some struggles that, um, you know, even in his family, it wasn't just, you know, other people, but he would go in, in with these relationships and, and breakups and and, um, and not only that, but like even in his spiritual life, he would like be 100% believing in God. And then he would kind of just fall away and not believe and he would start drinking and um, pretty much go completely out of the church. And then he'd come around and try to get his life back together and come back into the church. And, and he always asked me, like he has this one question that he would ask me and, and I give him, my my good answer, right? <laughs> I give him like a, a good answer, as good an answer as I could think of, and he would, uh, you know, take it and, and think about it, and then you know, months, a year later, he'd be out of the church again, and he'd come back, and he'd ask me the same question when he came back. And uh, you want to know what the question is now, because <laughs> <laughs> um, you know how how can I overcome sin? Because really, like when the rubber meets the road. If you're not overcoming sin because of the unique beliefs of Adventism, you feel like oftentimes if you're not overcoming that you must not be a real Christian, right? You know, people who feel like that. If I'm not overcoming, obviously something isn't working inside. And so how is it that human beings weak and sinful and unable to change as we are. How do we experience victory over sin and how can we experience the purifying of God in our lives? That is an excellent question. And we can't answer that in detail in, in full biblical clarity in one hour, but we're going to try. But notice what the Adventist home, page 425 and 26 says, of all the things that are sought and cherished and cultivated, there is nothing so valuable in the sight of God as a pure heart, a disposition imbued with thankfulness and peace. If the divine harmony of truth and love exists in the heart, it will shine forth in words and actions. Many people are trying to do right. They're trying to live like a Christian, but they find themselves powerless to change. Do you have your Bibles today? All right, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles, what chapter? 
34. 34. Are you there? Verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. This is a pretty young guy. I wouldn't even call him a, a man, but he's eight years old. He's the king of Israel, you know, telling everyone what to do. And, uh, and in verse 8, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah and, um, and these other people to repair the house of, of the Lord his God. And when they were repairing the temple, they found a book of the scrolls that had been lost. Part of the book of Deuteronomy, book of the law, books of Moses. And they brought it back to the king and they, they started to read it before him and and basically the whole thing is pretty much, you know, if you follow me with all of your heart, if you keep my commandments, if you do these things, then the Lord will pour out his blessings. But if you don't, you know, then all of these bad things are going to happen. Like I'll give you over to the nations. Just read the book of Deuteronomy, you know, uh, what Moses wrote. And basically this is what he's experiencing. And the Bible records in verse, verse um, 18, Shaphan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. I mean, he's like super, super convicted at this point. Because from king to king to king to king until him, everybody has done, gone like further and further and further into evil and wickedness and sinning. And not only themselves, but they're leading all of Israel to sin. And so one by one, all of these kings, like, they sin, and the next one sins just a little bit more, and the next one just a little bit more, until you get to the point where God's word isn't even around. They had to find it in the temple. It was lost. This is a wicked time. These are wicked, wicked people. Idolatry, prostitution, all of these things, and they're happening just outside of the temple that Solomon built for God. Okay, these are things that are, they're not even like far away. They're right there in the front yard. Not even in the backyard, in the front yard. And Josiah, he's convicted. He, the word of God convicted his life and it made a change in his heart. In verse 27, you find the results of this. Um, we'll start in verse 26. But as for King, this is what God is saying. As for king, the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his word against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you. Now, this isn't the part we're going to focus on, but I just want to say something about it. Oftentimes when we come to God asking for forgiveness or repentance, we do not approach God with humility and sorrow for our sin. The reason why God heard his prayer, it says, because you humbled yourselves, you tore your clothes, and you wept before me. Because of this, I have heard your prayer, says the Lord. 
God, if you want the Lord to hear your prayer, first of all, we have to be sorry. We have to humble ourselves before God. It makes sense. You, you, I'm not going to go into too much detail. We can talk about that afterwards. But humbleness and sorrow precede any change. Okay? The Bible goes on to say in verse 29, then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up into the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Verse, uh, verse 18, verse 27, we found that the word of God brought conviction to his heart. In verse 30, he goes and he calls everyone to hear the words of the Lord. He read in their hearing the words of the book of the hearing of the covenant, which had been found. In verse 31, the king stood in his place and made a covenant. Notice what he says before the Lord, to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes with all his what? And with all of his what? To perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. So not only did the word of God bring conviction to his heart, but it began to control the motives of his life. He, before, might have been um, governing selfishly out of, you know, whatever, I'm not sure what kings do, but the word of God began to control his actions. Not only convicted him, but controlled him. He called all of the people together because he wanted them to hear the same word. It converted him. He said, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, I will follow you. I'm going to do everything that is written in the book of the law. I mean, that's a radical change in conversion. When before you have all of this wickedness, this polygamy, this por fornication, pornography, all of this stuff, all of this sin, to radically change just from reading the Word of God. Controlled his life. Verse 31, the Bible says it had power to change his habits. It doesn't say that explicitly, but he said, I will perform, right? So anything that he was doing before that that was sinful, God's Word had power to change. To perform, to actually do what the Bible says, there was no power in and of himself to change anything. But because he was convicted and converted, and sorrow and humility preceded those things, God enabled him to perform the words of the book. To do what was right. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? And then uh, in verse... Uh, let's just read verse 32. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Verse 33. Thus Josiah removed all of the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. And he made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. The word of God has power to convict, to convert, 
power to bring obedience, power to change the habits. He removed all the evil practices. Everything that was going on and on and on and on that had been continually going on for hundreds of years, he removed them. And then the people did not depart from serving the Lord. God's word has power to keep them in that way. So you see what, what happened with Josiah is he didn't, just, he didn't just try to change these bad things. It's not like, you know, politics today where we, we look at society and we say, this is wrong, let's write a new policy, let's bring it before the government and try to change it. And then we vote and we talk and we discuss and we keep voting and talking and discussing until we have to redraft it and, and pretty soon you have 500 pages about a topic that just needs a simple decision. Okay, he actually goes and he brings all of the people together and he reads it to them and the word of God converts and convicts everybody, not just the king. It gave them power to do, actually do what was written in, the, in God's word. There is no power in you or in myself to actually do anything that God says. If you were here the last time, we talked a little bit about being addicted to different things. There is no power in the person who's addicted to change by himself, right? There is no safety in my heart or your heart. But the Word of God gives that power to change. It gives the power to actually keep us going and going and going, faithfully serving Jesus. There is no power for us to do that by ourselves. The power comes from God's Word. And then the, the last thing is that God's Word... Um, is something today that you and I don't always experience. We don't always experience that power, right? We believe it because we've grown up to say it. We believe that Jesus has power to do everything. But to actually really experience it, and that's what I think my friend was saying when he kept asking me, you know, how do I overcome? Because I'm not experiencing it over and over and over again. I'm doing the same things. And it begins to, you begin to question your theology. Because the temptation is there if, we, if we're not experiencing it, then maybe the theology is wrong. Right? So we change our theology to match our experience. When in reality, if our experience doesn't match our theology, then something in our experience isn't right. So in this time of spiritual wickedness, of literal wickedness, the Word of God is found and literally transforms the entire country overnight. And for hundreds of years, they were practicing this Baal worship where they would have male prostitutes going, people would sacrifice their children on these altars. All of this overnight changes. They're converted and they're faithfully keeping God's Word because the very Word they read had the power to keep them, that, keep them there. This is probably the secret, the, the one thing that we don't realize. The Bible, as I mentioned, is not just a dead book. The words of the Bible can bring life. From spiritual death to spiritual life. God's word doesn't just have the creative power in Genesis to make the world. It has the creative power to recreate the heart. 
And if you and I experience lulls in our spiritual life, when we do things that we wish we hadn't done, the Word of God can change that, can change who we are inside. It's not just what we do. It has to penetrate the heart. And until that happens, no change can ever really take place because there's no power in any other source but the Word of God. We, um, we want to see that power transform our hearts and our lives, but we don't always really know where to start. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 24, we read that those who will stand when Jesus come have pure hearts. But you and I know that our hearts are not pure. Okay, just to be honest, our hearts have so much sin that sometimes we just feel like we'll never be transformed completely. Okay? If we're honest with ourselves, that's probably a thought that we've had once or twice. Verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? Good question, right? How do we cleanse ourselves? How do we have the purity of God in our lives? This is just the simple answer right here. By taking heed according to your what? To your word. So how do we change ourselves? How do we cleanse our ways? By the word of God, right? Verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So why do people experience sin over and over and over and over, sometimes in the same things, when the Bible is so clear that all we have to do is hide the word of God in our hearts so that we don't sin. This is, I mean, this is like the simple solution. It's that simple, believe me. It's that simple to get victory. It's so simple that it's almost complicated, right? <laughs> like that can't be, that can't be all there is. <laughs> there's, um, there's just a problem with the heart. It says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, well, let's just turn to Jeremiah chapter 7 because we need to learn something about the heart too. Jeremiah chapter 7, this is a verse that you all know. And I want this session right here to be very practical. So if you have questions, feel free to ask. Um, and if anything is not clear, I want to make it clear because this should be very simple to understand. God does not want to place some long, hard obstacles in our way to becoming victorious. He doesn't want to make it difficult, so he's made it very easy. I'm glad you said amen. God made it very easy for us to be overcomers. Jeremiah chapter 7, looking at verse, um, we'll start in verse 9. Sorry, I said Jeremiah chapter 7, but I meant chapter 17. 17 verse 9.
Let's start in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the rivers and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here we have kind of the opposite. The heart, how many of you think you know your heart? Do you know yourself pretty well? Pretty well? I mean, you've lived with yourself all your life. So <laughs> if somebody's going to know you, it should be you, right? <laughs> okay. We think we know our hearts pretty well. But the Bible says the heart is what? Deceitful. What does that mean? <laughs> it's a liar. Your heart doesn't always reveal to you what you want to see, right? And it says the heart is what? Desperately wicked. Okay. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. What is the heart deceitful about? It's right in the verse. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What are the all things in the verse? The what? The flesh. The heart is deceitful about how wicked we really are. Right? Because each of us wants to admit that we are an okay individual. We're okay people. I am not that bad. Right? But in reality, what does the Bible say? We're that bad, okay? <laughs> the Bible says that the heart is de deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then the very next verse, I love this verse because it gives the answer to the question. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. God is the only one who knows the heart. And so if we want our hearts to be cleansed, then we have to allow God to penetrate into that sinful, deceitful, wicked area of our hearts. And that only comes by the Word of God. No real heart change can happen unless the Lord, by His penetrating Word, searches the heart. Does it make sense? We cannot experience change in behavior unless we have experienced a change of heart. You know what it's called when you try to change your behavior without changing your heart? Yeah. Who said it? You did? Legalism, yeah. To do without being first changed is legalistic. The heart is deceitful about all things and desperately wicked. We don't know our own hearts. We don't know what we're capable of doing, right? You would think that if placed under certain situations where you, let's say, you were, um, you were in a store and nobody was there except you and no video cameras, you would like to say that you would not steal. I wouldn't steal. Honestly, we can say that. I wouldn't steal, right? But change the situation a little bit. You haven't eaten in four days. And there's just some blueberries that are sitting there. They're not covered or anything. And to take one, nobody's going to notice if a blueberry is missing. And, and there's a whole shelf of them. So if you take one from each one, 
<laughs> right? Nobody's going to notice. We don't know what we're capable of, okay? I'm using that as an illustration because we don't steal. And we've never been that hungry, okay? And there's no store or supermarket that you're going to walk into that doesn't have cameras. So don't try it, okay? <laughs> the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Turn to Matthew chapter 15. We've got a few Bible texts to look up to today, look up today because this is where we're going to find change. What chapter did I say? Chapter 15. We're going to start in verse, I think we'll pick it up in verse 18, but to give you a little background, the disciples, you know, they're going through the field, they're eating, but they haven't washed their hands. And this is like a terrible thing in the eyes of the priests. They haven't washed their hands. They come to, they come to him and they say, you know, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands first? And Jesus says to them, basically, you know, gives them a long rundown. Why do you also transgress the commandments? And after all of this discussion, verse 11, he says, not what goes into the mouth defiles man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then in verse 12, his disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Then Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. So verse 16, Jesus says, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So does that sound a little bit like the list of things that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? When Paul says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, adulterers, adulteresses, homosexuals, sodomites. These people have no part in heaven, right? But those things, Jesus is just saying here, those things, they come out of the heart. It's not that they just did it because the environment was right. Those things were in there to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? That um, impurity in our lives, it's not a situation that we fell into. Sin doesn't just, you know, pop up and, oh man, we got to sin right now. It's something that's already existed inside. I have a, a, a friend who, who um, you know, he had one of those things happen where you wish you, you didn't have to hear about. And, um, and he said, you know, basically after, um, afterwards that I just didn't know what was in my heart. And I thought about that, and I, you know, to think that sin exists in our heart is not a happy thing, okay? But when we see, like, even, even spiritual people fall and make mistakes, 
you realize that only by the power of God's word can we ever hope to remain faithful. Amen. Amen. Only by the power of God's word can we ever hope to overcome. Because in and of ourselves, we do not know our hearts like we should. And when the situation comes up, everything might be perfect. And if we have not been hiding God's word in our hearts, we will fall. You know, someone said that no one comes to sudden ruin. It takes time to corrupt the soul. Little by little, we walk, we crawl into the devil's traps. These things are not just, you know, actions we do. They're part of who we are. And if we don't realize that now, that each of us, under the right circumstances, are capable of doing bad things, we'll never experience the transforming power of, of God's Word. You're with me so far? God's Word is the only way to change. Only way. I'm going to say this a few more times because maybe you haven't gotten it. All right? You know, after Josiah, after he had read the law, he had this spiritual revival. And this revival in his own heart spread throughout all of the kingdom of Judah. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 23, you find it's the same, same story, different, different account. 2 Kings chapter 23, and if we just look at some of the things that he did, Verse 19, Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did, uh, and he did them according to all the deeds that he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them and returned to Jerusalem. Um, even skip, down to verse, skip back to verse 7. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons. That means the, the homosexual prostitutes who would go there and have sex as act of worship um, that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the women, wooden images. Verse 10, he defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fires of Molech. And basically what they would do is in these times they would make their children, they would have children, and they would make them pass through this fire before this, you know, image of a god of Moloch. And if the kid was able to walk through the fire and not die or get burnt, then that person would be favored by the gods and he was allowed to live. But if the children died, then it would just be looked at as an offering. You know, I've given my son to this idol. He tore that down. In other words, like, the word of God changed his heart so much that things that had been around for such a long time that were, that were habitual ritual practices... He took them away. The habitual or ritual practices of sin in our life can be done away, put away, and torn down and destroyed by God's word. And the first principle to doing that is hiding the word of God in our hearts because we do not know what we are capable of. Only God knows because he searches the heart. They destroyed the high places. 
the Bible says. But in the New Testament, Paul makes the connection with these high places of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they would build these pagan altars like on hills or big open plains and valley, in valleys, but mostly on hills, so that it could be closer to the gods. So that when they had their worship and they had their sacrifices and their ritual dances, that the gods would see because they're higher up and they would look and they would, you know, hopefully get the desired outcome. You know, if it was rain that they were praying for, you know, maybe it would rain because the god would see them. Or, you know, if they needed um, victory in war or whatever. So these high places are places that they would set up so that the gods could see them. Okay? Turn to First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 10. There's high places that Paul refers to in the New Testament. And this is something that we need to understand. Second Corinthians chapter 10. My pages are not turning as quickly as they used to. <clears throat> Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every what? What's the next phrase? Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this is the connection he's making, that Satan has built high places in our minds. Because he says we have to bring every thought into captivity to the will of God, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down every high place. Okay? So what that means is that in our lives, the devil has been building these high-place altars in our minds, places where he has strongholds over us. And it's the Word of God that has to cast them down. So when, when these high places exist, it's, in a sense, the devil has access to us. We've given him access. He's built strongholds to keep us bound in the chains of sin. You know, um, we talked, we've been talking about addiction. We've been talking about perpetual, habitual sin. Every sin. These high places in our minds. The Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every what? Every thought into captivity or obedience to the will of Christ. This is what you and I need to be doing. There is a deep connection between what goes on in the mind and what goes on in the heart. The devil wants to control the mind because if he can control the mind, what does he get? He gets the heart. And if he gets the heart, that will change what you do. And if he gets what you do to change, it becomes a habit. See what happened? what's happening? And once you have developed a habit, you are chained to sin. So whoever controls the mind controls the heart. Whoever controls the heart controls the mind. Um, in the sense that what you do, the sin, the adultery, the fornication, proceed out of the heart. Who you are. <laughs> 
Um, that will become, I think, clear in, in a minute. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So in other words, you and I are changed when our minds are renewed. How do we renew our minds? That's a good question. I'm glad somebody asked. Okay. We're, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Before we answer that, the word transformed, it literally means a metamorphosis. Okay? You know what a metamorphosis means? When I was a kid, we had, um, we had this monarch butterfly, but we got it as a worm. And we put it in a glass jar, put a little stick in there with a little plant. And, um, and we watched it every day because our parents told us something was going to happen to it. We had no idea because we were pretty young. We'd never seen this before. And this little worm would, would just sit there and, you know, not much would happen. Day after day after day, it was just a worm. Okay. And then one day we came downstairs, you know, after a good night's rest and, and looked and there was just a little stick and a little cocoon. And the worm was gone. And they had to explain to us, you know, it went in there to, to sleep or whatever. And then... Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. But after like a long time, what do you think happened? A butterfly came out. Was it a worm? Not anymore. <laughs> it was a worm, but not anymore. So he's, Paul is saying, be transformed or have a metamorphosis take place in your mind. You might have been living like you were a worm. Slave to sin. But now you are transformed into a beautiful butterfly. A monarch butterfly. By the renewing of your mind. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Chapter 3 actually. Find the same word. Chapter 3, are you there? Verse 18. But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed. Into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When our minds are renewed, we are transformed. How are our minds renewed? What did you say? Oh, you're... Who has it? How are our minds renewed? Based off of 1 Corinthians 3.18. By beholding Jesus. So if we want transformation in our lives, our minds need to be renewed. If we want our minds to be renewed, we have to be beholding Jesus. How do we behold Jesus? Through His Word. Are you with me? we want to experience victory, we have to get rid of these high places that the devil has built. And that only comes by the power of Jesus through his word. Faith comes by hearing, hmm? comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes 
by the word of God. Do you work for Audioverse? Because that was a, a good plug for their t-shirts I saw this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to have the living faith of Jesus. Beholding the living word in our lives is what changes us. And that's what cleanses and changes the heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord searches the heart. He's the one that has given us the power to change. Is, it, is this a hard thing to understand? It might seem a little complicated at first, but in reality, it's very simple. You, your heart is changed by the power of the word. By spending time daily with Jesus, your mind can be transformed. I was, I was in um, Africa in earlier this year, and I went to, to preach for, at, a, at a boarding school, high school, to um, 800 uh, Adventist youth, not all Adventists. And at the school, you know, I had never experienced, you know, spiritualism or, or demon possession in my life. I've heard about it, you know, I've, you read some stories um, during the daytime, but not at night. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so as I was preaching, it became evident that some of the kids were dealing with these issues, that the devil controlled their actions. And they would do things that, you know, controlled by these spirits that they had no idea what they were doing. And it's, it can be a very scary thing, as it was for me at the time. But when I, when I began to preach, all throughout the day you might, you might find these incidences happening, but as soon as they walked in to the meeting room, the devil had no power there. And these people would make decisions to follow truth. And then they would leave the meeting and they would be taken over by the spirits again. And I remember there was one young woman who came up at an altar call, decided to get baptized. She came up, she went down, you know, I don't know what happened to her that night. When it came time to go to the lake to be baptized, we were there and it was person after person, 76 students got baptized. Person after person was going into the water and when it was her turn, she was about to step into the water and the spirit took control of her life and she started screaming and flailing and, and running the other direction. And, uh, and they finished baptizing everyone and then they went and they got her. And because during the meeting under the power of the Holy Spirit, she had made a decision to give her life to God in her right mind. They came and they got her and though she was fighting all of the way, they took her and they baptized her. And when she came up out of the water, she was healed by the power of Jesus. I get chills when I think about it. That the devil has no power over the person who has given their lives to him, to Jesus. Who are transformed by the hearing, the preaching, and the reading of God's word. Do I have more time? 11.45, right? Beholding Christ means studying his life as given in his word. We are to dig for truth as for hidden treasure. We are to fix our eyes upon Christ. 
when we, taught, when we take him as our personal savior, this gives us boldness to approach the throne of grace. By beholding, we become changed, morally assimilated to the one who is perfect in character. By receiving his imputed righteousness through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we become like him. The image of Christ is cherished and it captivates the whole being. Give to God the most precious offering that it is possible for you to make. Give him your heart. The best thing, the most valuable thing that you have is your heart. And you and I have the choice of who controls it. Paul says, you know, whose servants you obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You are either a servant of God or the devil. There's no middle ground. You think not choosing is, you can avoid it, but not choosing is really choosing, no. When our minds are transformed, the heart will be transformed by beholding Christ. Look at just that yellow highlighted print. By beholding Christ, he becomes changed into the same image. That's what the Bible says. His character becomes our character. What he likes becomes ours. By beholding Jesus from Reflecting Christ, page 304, the beholding of Jesus becomes an ennobling, refining process to the actual Christian. He sees the pattern and grows into its likeness. And then how easily are dissensions, emulations, and strifes adjusted. The perfection of Christ's character is the Christian's inspiration. All right. I want to talk briefly about how to deal with temptation, okay? We have a few minutes left. This is something that I believe practically we need to know. So if you have your Bible handy, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We know who we have to allow Jesus to control the heart. But that doesn't mean that temptations will never come. What happens when they do come? This is very, very important to understand how the devil works. When each one is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. So what, what, bring, what makes a person tempted? Desires. Desires. What makes a person sin? Not the temptation. What is it? Who said that? Well, what is it? Okay. You know, um, when when we're dealing with people who, who struggle with addiction in our, our um, ministerial training, they, they teach us that, you know, you have external triggers, you have internal triggers. 
there are things in the environment that can cause you to sin. Okay? Like for a person who, who has an alcohol addiction, if he sees somebody drinking or he's sitting by a campfire and it brings back the memory of the times he used to sit by a campfire you know, with alcohol, that thought, those are triggers. Those bring the thoughts into our minds. And then when the thought is in our minds, it brings a desire. Okay? Because when we think about it long enough, you're like, man, I, I really wish I could. Yeah, one, it wouldn't be so bad, right? So because we continue to think, we have this desire, and then because we have the desire, what is it now easy for us to do? It's easy for us to go and indulge just a little bit. And you have sin. And we all know sin leads to death. So it's important for us to realize that if you want to overcome these sins that, that leave us in bondage, we have to cut it off where? What's that? In our minds. When the, trigger, the triggers will come. There's nothing we can do about that. The devil will tempt us by a little thing that we see on TV, by you know, our friends, by whatever. When it happens, when it comes into our minds, we have to cut it off right there in our thoughts. Because if we, d if we dwell on it, the desire will come, and it's one step closer to, being, to leading us into sin. Sin comes from the heart. And so if we want to change our heart, we have to start by, by cutting off sin in, the, in our minds. Are you with me so far? Am I, is this confusing? This shouldn't be confusing. If you want to have victory, you've got to make that decision to not linger, to not dwell on the sin. I want to skip... I think Clifford Goldstein said it pretty well in False Balances, page 181. Pray, have devotions, witness. But when the devil is pressing you, when every cell of your body cries out for sin, when your hormones, appetites, and passions steam through your pores, all you can do is claim God's promises for victory and grasp them in cold, naked faith. You will have terrible moments of agony. Your nerves will be stretched out on end. And you'll think you are dying. Then just when you can't stand it anymore the temptation will pass. And through the power of Jesus and to the honor and glory, and to his honor and glory, you will receive, you will rejoice in your victories through the Lord, who is able to keep you from falling. It is an intense struggle, the Christian life. It is not something that you can just flip on and off. Okay, I'm not going to sin today. It is an intense struggle. Every cell in your body might cry out for sin. You might not even think, as he wrote, you can take it anymore. But just as that moment comes, the temptation will pass. The desire will fade away. And you will be rejoicing in the power of Jesus. Jude 24 says, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. You and I can be kept free from sin, clean and pure by the power of Jesus because he is the only one that can change our hearts. That which should cause us the deepest joy is the fact that God forgives sin. If we take him at his word and forsake our sins, he is ready and willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
He will give us a pure heart and the abiding presence of his spirit. For Jesus lives to intercede for us. Do you want Jesus to give you a pure heart? We've got to spend that time reading and studying and praying from God's word. There is no other substitute for victory, for overcoming temptation. There is no other source for purity in our lives than by the power of God's word. There's a promise in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place? Those who have pure hearts. And those are the ones who, the ones who have allowed God to purify them. Those are the ones who have, will be allowed to see God when he comes. Do you want to have a pure heart today? Is that your desire? You want to say, Lord, my heart is not pure, but make it pure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would give us pure hearts. We battle, we struggle, we fight temptation, and sometimes it's a losing battle. The devil has victory because he has these high places in our hearts, in our minds. He's built these strongholds, and it's very hard for us to change our habits because we haven't allowed you to change our hearts and minds. Father, when we struggle, when we fight, help us to realize the promises in your word in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation is impossible to overcome because you have made a way of escape so that we can bear it. Give us victory. We want to experience the purity of Jesus in the full power that the Holy Spirit can bring. And so we ask today that you would give us a new sense, a new desire, a new burning fervor to follow you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, if there's a person struggling here with a certain sin that has been keeping them captive for a while, you give them victory in their life. May we each experience the power that comes from your word. There is no power in us. We cannot do it on our own. We ask for the, the interceding and intervention of Christ to make us and keep us pure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.